Hey everybody, and welcome to our newest project for first responder wellness, No One Fights Alone, an in-depth conversation about mental health and addiction in the first responder space. We're joined by your hosts, Austin Pedersen and Josh Adams. Welcome back everybody to the No One Fights Alone podcast. I'm your host, Josh, here with Austin. We want to welcome a very special guest with us today. We have the president of the state Utah State FOP Lodge, Brett Jex, retired uh, police officer who's been involved with FOP and wellness issues in the state of Utah from probably from the dawn of time. He is, his name's always been there as, as, as a leader in, in, in these movements, and we're excited to have him here with us in, uh, in Austin's back bedroom dungeon where we do our podcasts. This is, this is an office, actually. <laughs> okay. No, it's not. <laughs> You're letting the eyebolts in the ceiling fool you. It's kind of like Silence of the Lambs. This is, yeah, anyway. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. Um, I think we kind of just want to open up it and, and ask a few questions like, you know, maybe what made you want to get into this career field and then kind of how you ended up where you are today. Oh, well, I, uh, I did... I did 20 years with West Jordan and, uh, at about year 16, uh, I, I had my, uh, I had my downfall and, uh, I mean, it, it was really one of those things that, uh, took me by surprise, you know, cause I always had this concept of what PTSD was and what it wasn't and, I'd never pulled the trigger on anybody, and so I was like, you know, well, that can't be it. And didn't understand the accumulation of, of all the traumas and, and everything. And and uh, so I ended up going through about uh, 20 weeks of therapy, along with all the beautiful stuff that comes with it, you know, the paranoia, the, you know, the hiding it from the agency, the all of those, uh, those things. And then after that... Uh, I was elected as the president of the Utah FOP in 2012, and in 2015 we started our foundation and realized that something needed to be needed to be done, and so we just started uh, cranking away at it. Uh, I had a uh, guy on my board, Clint Bobrowski from uh, Layton PD, that really spearheaded. Uh, he really spearheaded where we are today. So do you think that, because, uh, I mean, you, you were from the, the wellness standpoint from the beginning, do you think that that culture has slowly changed in Utah over the last, you know, 10, 12 years, or is it just like a slow battle? I think it's a kind of a yes and a no. I mean, we've got the we got this generation coming into law enforcement now that are more than willing to share whatever. Um, but there's still, a, I think what, what I see mostly is there are administrators that are that are fully on board with wellness, and then there are others that say that they are, but they're really not. And so their their public facing view is, you know, all things wellness and everything like that. But behind the scenes, they're still you'll, you'll still get penalized. So, are you seeing that too? Yeah, I mean, I the the way I see it, very much the same as Brent is. The era that we came up in <clears throat> was 
duty was a one-sided proposition. The era that these kids are coming up in is duty is now a two, two-way street. And so you've got uh, administrative people that don't want to buy into that. Uh, you know, they, they like, they love, and you know, I can tell you, it's nice to have people that are, that are very structured in duty and come to work duty and stuff like that. And we sourly want to say, well, they're always asking, well, what's in it for me? And the, they're not asking what's in it for me. It's like, it's more like, what is your duty to me? Here's my duty to you. Yeah. What's my duty back, back the other way. And so, you know, it's, it's leadership recognizing and implementing the concept of, yeah, we have a duty to protect our people too. Uh, not just send them out and, and expect them to do everything right. And to whatever the fallout is that they just deal with it, internalize it, go see our, our rinky dinky EAP, whatever the case is to check a box. But, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's mental health. I think it's training. Uh, you know, we, we demand so much of our people. Well, why are we still maintaining the same training thresholds that were in, in existence when I started, you know, 40 hours, what's 40 hours going to do for anybody? They need 150 hours for what we're asking them to do anymore. So the training, the, the mental wellness, uh, letting a lot of the science and technology and stuff help replace some of their duties as well versus just, Hey, whatever, whatever is, is the, uh, cost effective solution versus, Hey, we need to invest not only in, in them, but also in their work environment so that they can perform their duties in a more advanced way and so forth. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's, I think wellness is the one that's the, probably has the biggest gap right now where, where a lot of people don't want to give deference to it and focus. And because it's, we've carved out <clears throat> for a minute in a space we've carved out where they've been allowed to j- just check an easy box. Like here's a, here's a, a low tier, low service EAP and, and things like that. You know, don't ask, don't tell type thing versus asking the question of our people, how are you doing? You know, leaders that want to just be able to look at data sheets and say, okay, well, I know how they're performing, but does that at any point answer how are they doing? You know, so it's okay. Are, are, are people that are in a leadership position willing to ask that question, how are you doing? And when they say, I'm not doing well, recognizing, hey, that's my responsibility. Like their, their reaction is definitely something that I think every department across the country is different when, you know, they have to do something for somebody when yeah. they do say they're not okay. Yeah. Because I mean, the majority of calls that I see, at least nationally, are all crisis. Right? Yeah. There's... Well, and there's a there's a difference between, you know, like what Josh is saying, there's a, there's a difference between, you know, an obligation to help them because now they've disclosed that they're not doing good and actually and actually caring about what happens to them. And if, if chiefs out there think that, uh, that their guys can't see the difference, I mean, I'll, I'll put, uh, there's, there's a handful of chiefs in the state that are absolutely looked at as leaders. And Josh is one of them. Um, because it's about the, I mean, look, after I went through, after I went through therapy, I was a better cop. Absolutely. I was a better cop. I was a better husband. I was a better father. Um, cause be, before in those other two categories, I, I was pretty horrible at it. Um, I had, I had more empathy on calls. 
I interacted with suspects better. I, you know, I wasn't, uh, without sacrificing officer safety, I was in a better position to, to interact with suspects, you know, and, and spend a little bit of time, uh, a little bit of time talking to them. It wasn't just a matter of closing this case out, you know, tossing them in jail and moving on to the next. And there, there were times where that was obviously the, the answer, but you know, you learn to recognize in other people, the deficiencies that you've learned about yourself and, and you actually have the opportunity to positively impact somebody else's life, you know, and, and it, uh, the lessons that I learned that, you know, for the last four years of my career, I wish that I would have had in my toolbox, the first 16. Yeah. But would you change anything? Right. Like, I think it's, it's, it's all about progressing as a person, as a human, right? No, I mean, I, I look back and I, there are a lot of regrets that I have, but those regrets, um, it's hard for me to say that I would go back and, and change anything. There, there are some decisions that I would, that I would, uh, do differently, uh, you know, especially in some conversations and, you know, some <laughs> things that, that, uh, that I said that, that I shouldn't have said. Um, but I think as far as the overall progress of it i think i ended up in in the place where i am because of the experiences that i that i went through um and you know i even though i wish i didn't have to go through what i went through to to get to this point it is what it is i mean i can't i can't hit the rewind button and there's no mulligans in life yeah it's very true and so um we talked a little bit about your career. So what, what do you think like some of the main aspects of your job are now as the Utah FOP president? Cause um, I think a lot of people don't know the insides of what each lodge does specifically or States or, or whatever it may be. Yeah. I mean, from the, from the state standpoint, it's uh, I mean, we've got uh, 50 lodges throughout the state. Uh, we're just shy of 5,000 members. We have, uh, we, we operate our foundation, uh, which we do, wellness, uh, disaster, things like that through. And then we have our, you know, we have our legal plan. Um, we have our, uh, legislative efforts. You know, we just hired the, uh, the recently retired director of post to be our executive director. Um, we have, you know, we have all those, all those things. And it just kind of depends on what, on what hat, comes in because we can be, you know, we can be sitting here talking about wellness and then all of a sudden we can have a, a critical incident come in and then it, it spins to, you know, making sure that, uh, that the members that we have involved in that critical incident have whatever they need, you know, wellness, legal support, you know, peer support, uh, things like that. So it's a, it's a constantly, the hats are constantly changing. Yeah ever changing and like you guys were doing something in utah legislator for like trying to get a grant or something like that for wellness a few years back weren't you yeah you know we we've been uh we've been sounding the wellness drum since uh 2015 uh when we when we started up the foundation uh governor herbert actually uh helped us get a, a grant through ccjj to uh, get some equipment to produce some some videos um and we did uh we did four or five videos 
um, we every time we every time we go to do another one, I mean things just get get hectic. But uh, like Josh was saying at the beginning, you know when when all this started becoming a priority, I mean we saw companies come out of the woodwork, you know, and companies that nobody ever heard of, and you know all these things, and everybody was uh, guided for the guided for the money and um you know now we're now we're seeing uh some of them stick around and seeing some of them that were uh obviously just that just in it for the in it for the money and there uh there was a a thing out of the the money appropriated last year to where uh maybe the you know the FOP would just take care of all the retired all the retired cops with with therapy and our response was yeah we're we're willing to we've got the i mean we've got the apparatus set up and then you know politics come into play and and that <laughs> that money you know gets siphoned off elsewhere and we're like okay i mean right now we're we're 99% member funded i mean our members dues pays the uh pays the therapy for any cop in the state you know, FOP member, non-FOP member will cover your first four visits. Oh, wow. And, you know, other than uh, we have a, a link set up on Amazon Smile. So for all the Amazon enthusiasts out there, and I, you know, I don't know if my wife knows how much I contribute to the <laughs> to <laughs> she doesn't this wellness to campaign. Yeah. And but, so uh, does that mean that you guys are technically a nonprofit? Yeah, we're a 501c3. Okay, I did not know that. Interesting. So on, I mean, the, on the foundation side, on the FOP side, we're a 501c8. Gotcha. Gotcha. But so are you guys doing like um, fundraisers and all that stuff to, for, for that? Uh, we try most of the time when we do the, when we do the fundraisers, it's usually for an individual cause. You know, we'll have a, a member that's either got medical bills or a family member, or a child that that's had something and we'll run a fundraiser campaign for them specifically. Um, but, uh, other than that, we, it's just member dues that the funds are right now. We're kind of a, the fundraising thing, our culture, it's kind of, and this is my observation, maybe Brent sees it differently is, you know, if I know somebody needs something, I'll open up my wallet. But when it's a generic fundraiser, it's yep. like, we run the other way. Like we, you know, it's like, oh, we're going to have a big dinner or a barbecue. And it's like, well. There's going to be people that I think are assholes there. Why would I pay money to go to a barbecue yep. and see people I don't like, you know, versus, hey, this is a, this is a barbecue for so-and-so whose kid has cancer. Well, I don't give a shit about the people I don't like anymore. I'm yep. going to, to do that. Spot on. You know? So yeah, we're, we're funny that way where the, the general, a general fundraising campaign or something like that, we're tightwads. But uh, and I have a rough attitude about it, but yeah, yeah, golf tournaments, stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's yeah. rather or not, it's a it depends on what's uh, what's going around in the carts during the golf tournament, seems to be the driving force, yeah, on, absolutely, on participation. So, <laughs> absolutely. So, I, I've seen and I want to jump back to the wellness part with you, thank you, Josh. Um, but like, I've, I've worked with you firsthand, if mm-hmm. you remember, with a, a couple of guys, um, and so like when. When that happens for you, are you are you like the front end person that's making the calls and figuring out how to help someone, or do you have like a team with you? 
So we've got a uh, we've got a wellness committee, and we've got a chairman of the wellness committee, um, and I've got uh, uh, two board members that their primary focus is is wellness, and so between between all of us, we we generally get the get the calls, and you know whether we have the committee or not. I mean, everybody, I think everybody in the state's got my phone number, and so it uh, it it constantly rings. And and it's a good thing. I'd I would much rather have uh, I'd much rather have people reach out and uh, and use the services or you know try and figure stuff out than than sit there in silence and think that you know that nobody understands and that nobody um, you know or, or worse than nobody cares because I mean when you're going through the the middle of it like you you think you're in you think you're on an island you know and that that nobody else is going through or has gone what you've we've gone through and it's kind of that internal paranoia that that uh goes through and so anytime that we can reach out and you know and be hey i've i've been there you know i everything that you're describing right now i remember the exact time point in time that you know that i was in your shoes and uh i think it makes a difference i think it makes a huge difference because you're now allowed to come and be in that space with them where before they're like i'm alone and where the minute you're able to open that door and say hey I've been there too. I know what you're talking about. You, you, you can go be in that space and, and have, you know, that true empathy. And so I get it, you know, versus other people that haven't experienced it or whatever. And our fear of not finding people that are going to get it, Yeah, you know, makes a huge difference. Well, I think people, a lot of the times what I hear is like, they're surprised when people actually answer the phone. I mean, that's a big one. Like, you know, they're on the verge of something, uh, you know, and they call, but they don't expect people to actually pick up the phone. Yeah. It's, it's a strange thing. And so here's, here's the age old question. And it's probably gathering a little information for myself. Have you seen your calls increase over the last few years? Yes. Due, due to COVID or, or whatever it may be. Right. Like, why do you think that is? Um, I think, uh, one, I think information's getting out there. You know, I think, uh, I think they're doing that. And then I think we have, uh, we have a lot of, administrators uh like josh that that not only get it but support it and and they uh like i i know a lot of worm guys that that feel totally comfortable in in going to their chief and saying i'm i'm not doing too too good and they know they're not going to be penalized for it and so you open up that uh you open up that avenue and people are going to be more inclined to uh to get help because look i mean when you're in that situation it sucks i mean that i remember that point in time and the i mean just the the loneliness the depression the uh i mean you're already dealing with lack of sleep you're already dealing with you know nightmares anxiety attacks panic attacks at, at strange times and you feel you feel utterly alone and i think uh when you realize that there's that that lifeline out there it just opens up so many possibilities that you didn't think were there before yeah and it's it it involves the whole family too right like the kids the the wife uh everything because you know i i'm a i say this almost every episode but i'm a firm believer that not everyone needs like a residential treatment center or a hospital or or things like that like sometimes they just need somebody to talk to um somebody who's gonna sit down and listen no judgment that kind of thing um, haven't you seen that in your groups that you're running? Oh yeah. I mean, that, that's just, it is, is 
we're so careful about that stuff and you talk about the inclusion of of family and stuff like that that was the closely guarded secret in my relationship when i was married is the hell if i'm even telling her Mm -hmm. you know and you know she found and, and i was well into therapy before i even disclosed to my wife that i was going to therapy because i was so and now i look at it as it was it was it was i didn't have any reason to be but i was scared you yep. know because it's like to me i like it where it's like if you went you could feel something wrong in your body whatever and you're going to the doctor like to find out what this is is this like a t- tumor in my brain and does it have cancer and all this kind of stuff where it's that same thing where it's like, okay, something's wrong here. This is not, I'm not okay. I don't know. How do I find what that is, where it is and treat what it is, you know, without sounding the alarm and causing fear and, and stuff like that. Cause part of, part of, uh, part of what we struggle with sometimes I think in our relationships is being so there, there, there's two sides to it. There's, there's guys that I think tend to bring way too much work home and that share way too much with their spouse and it causes problems, vicarious trauma, if you want to call it that, to their spouses, to their children and stuff like that. Or there's the people that's like, yeah, what did, you know, where as far as she knew, I was out writing tickets in a school zone all day or whatever, handing stickers to kids type thing. That's all she's going to know I'm doing. Not, you know child porn cases and stuff like that and sitting in some autopsy you know no you know and so and what that does over the course of for me for 20 years she had no idea what was wrong with me either well you were trying to protect her right that's my guess then and that's in my in my mind i think i'm being benevolent or whatever taking the high path and in reality all that did was dry was was you know, one shovel full at a time, carve out a canyon and uh, to where the the ability to, to, to come back together was no longer there. And, you know, and 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 I, I recognize that, you know, I think it hurt her feelings, too, to find out you've been going to therapy for six months. Not not what's wrong with you, you nut job. It's like you can't tell me you're going to a therapist. You know, and uh, versus, okay. I guess, the, on that flip side, too, where it's like, I think some guys tend to go home and treat their wife as though they are their therapist, which I don't think <laughs> is necessarily the right balance either. Yeah. So there's somewhere in the middle. There. Yeah. yeah. And that space in the middle for me, I would, based on my experience and what I see and what I read and stuff is put it out there so that it's part of the culture f- from the beginning. Like the academy stuff. Not only just in the academy of, of discussing these things, but you know, how much does every how much does every municipality, how much does every city pay for dental coverage for uh, all of the people that are benefited employees? You know, whatever your number is per year for this policy. Okay, at the end of the day, what matters more to everybody, their teeth or their head? You know, yet we all dutifully go get our teeth scraped every six months. You know. Because we're trying to avoid the drilling and the filling and and the caps and all that kind of expensive, hard, painful treatment. Well, why aren't we doing that with our, our, our mindset, our mentality too? Where it's like, hey, why are we not getting a, a, a 
you know, get the air pressure trick, so to speak, in our in our head, rotate the tires, whatever you want to call it, and see how we're doing, you know, and, and make that a cultural thing so that when we're doing good, it's a checker game with a therapist. When we're doing bad, we're talking about issues. But either way, it's okay to go talk and have that as part of our, from A to Z, this is, this is what we do. And this is all, once again, my opinion, but I think I have an answer for that. And I've thought about it a lot, especially recently, is I just don't think that there is like a set recipe to heal your mental health. And that drives cities away, drives, you know, people who are paying the bills away from paying it because they're like, well, I could spend a few thousand dollars on this guy going to therapy and it just may not work. He may just go home or treatment or whatever, a, a retreat, whatever it may be, he'll come back and possibly do the same thing. Like, you think, am I... Well, yeah, but the same thing happens with the dentist, too. It's like, you yeah. can still, every six months, yeah. and you still wind up having to get a tooth filled every now and again. I, uh, well, I think you got a, you got a couple of things to break down there. Is one, it's, uh, I think it's, it's about teaching the, the ways to, um, to recognize and intervene, you know, it's how do you even even through all this, you know, and as far as far as we've come as a profession, where's the where's the training on on how to how to talk to your buddy about, you know, bringing up things that you know signs that you see. Um, I I know for me it was and. You know, and keeping in mind this was eight years ago, um, but I had a buddy of mine that I, I taught at the academy with, that uh, from another agency, and and I remember him coming up to me at the uh, at the academy one day, and he had, and he had been in a shooting, actually I think he'd been in a couple of them, but his most recent one had been uh, four or five years previous to this, and he uh, he was telling me, you know, he yeah, got me and my wife almost got got divorced and I was like oh no kidding and he was like you know and kind of saying all this and he ended with you know so hey if you ever if you ever need anything and I'm like well you know you're the one telling me that you got you know so if you need something you you tell me and he's kind of like uh, okay you know just and it was uh you know we we laugh about it now but you know that was his way of of seeing some of the things in me that he recognized in himself from before and he's trying to you know he's trying to sound the alarm but doesn't know how to doesn't know how to sound it yeah and so um i don't think most people do know how to sound for like and we're talking copper civilian right yeah. i really don't think that people have ever learned how to properly sound the alarm without that like offending thing or whatever it yeah. may be you know yeah well and i but i think it comes down to it's also the uh i think it's also the reasons why we uh why it's concealed from our spouses you know we uh you know because whether it's through through training or or through our our mindset or anything like that or the type a personality but we're supposed to be the one that shows up that makes everything okay you know we're if we show up on a scene and it deteriorates then we didn't do our job right and so how we have that conversation with our with our spouse and so we get really good at at hiding the cause from them, but they're still dealing with the after effects. They still know that we're moody. They still know that we're, you know, that we're being jerks at home or that we're, you know, distant or, you know, 
whatever. I mean, you pick from uh, pick from a list of fifty, but the uh, our spouses are really kind of the uh, feel that betrayal because they're the last ones to they're the last ones to find out what's going on. Generally, I mean, they see all the symptoms. They're living with the symptoms, and yet we're willing to talk to buddies at work, or you know, or therapists or anything before we even bring in, them into the equation. And so now you've got a now you got kind of a double whammy to work with. You're trying to fix yourself, and you also have a relationship to repair. And you've got that, even though it's not it's not an intended betrayal. You still have this betrayal to deal with that that we didn't. We didn't trust them enough to share the information with them, and it sounds it sounds harsh. I I know it sounds hard, and I don't I don't mean it to be like that. If we tell our spouse that they're going to run and tell their friends and and stuff like that, it's just you know that bad bad advice that we got in the academy when we went through, and it was don't take your work home with you, and so it was equated to it didn't matter what what the shift was like. I mean, we could have we could have been on you know some horrendous homicide. Or we could have been, you know, sitting in a parking lot all night because of a blizzard. And when I got home, it was, how was work? It was fine. You know, it was fine. And then I just, regardless of what it was, I just, you know, I just packaged that up and just pushed it way down until it couldn't stay down anymore. Yeah. And I I don't take it as horrible in the aspect of like, I after doing this with this population for a long time, I think that it's it's all about protection. Like that's the you don't want to expose your significant other to what you've seen, or or what's gone on in, in a certain extent. Like if yeah, you... yeah. But part of the problem is that now you've got uh, now you've got walls built and you know and wedges drawn, and now all of a sudden it's um, one of the things that I noticed was that uh, there like I had this I had this alternate theory going on in my head, you know. And it was a, uh, it was a thing where I, I thought for sure that she was going to kick me out and she should have, I mean, I was being an asshole. I mean, just, I was, I was grumpy, moody. I mean, her and the kids walking on eggshells. I mean, there was never any, I mean, I never destroyed anything like that, but I was just a, I was just a jerk and she would have had every right. And she would have had every right to slip my throat in the middle of the night. And, you know, all she had to do was say, well, you guys have seen them in the last six months. And I'm like, okay, yeah, justified. Um, but the problem is that once that, once that concept starts entering your head, and it starts to interweave with your with actual reality, you stop investing in the relationship. You know, it's, you know, why would I invest in something that's just going to hurt me more down the road? And if I think that whether it's in a day, a week, or a month, or six months, that it's over then, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to invest in that. And we were doing it. We were doing a remodel at the time. You know, we had, uh, we had begun the process of, uh, moving our, our master bedroom into, we converted the, the downstairs into a master suite, which by the way, I should have done that years and years ago, but I still had to tile in the shower. And well, one, I'm anybody that knows me knows I'm not a craftsman. And so uh, I, I still hadn't, I still hadn't, uh, done the shower and she kept saying, you know, well, Hey, when are you going to do the shower? And in my mind, I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm going to bust my butt to do the shower. And then your next husband gets to do that. I'm like, 
no, screw that. He can, he can tile his own shower, you know, that type of a thing. And so, and then the more you think it, the more it cements in and the more it becomes a reality and it ends up being a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so part of the, part of the secret is earlier intervention. You know, it's, it's how do we, how do we start to unravel that before it gets into this big jumbled knot? You know, when we can do either either some preventative stuff or early intervention stuff and and catch the train before it gets so far down the tracks that the only result is just a complete upheaval of life. Yeah, I think <clears throat> as you're talking about and I'm I'm doing some reflection and introspection for myself is you know what comes to mind is you know, when you talk about communication and how do you talk about these things? Well, okay, we are taught in an official capacity, you know, here's the facts, here's a narrative, here's a, here's a, you know, so we, we can dictate a case report, which is very, you know, we're not using descriptive adjectives and we're not, you know, we're just, it's facts. He said this, she said that evidence says this, that I noticed this, whatever the case is. And then when we communicate with our coworkers, the language we're using to talk about our problems is dark humor, you know, and yeah. making fun of people's tragedy and downplaying the impact of trauma on other people as well as on ourselves and stuff. So it's like, and then you go home and it's like, well, the only language I knew how to use at home was the, you know, hi honey everything's fine and and you know our our definition of taking work home was like you know in my mind I, if i didn't take a, a a case file home well then i didn't take work home but it had nothing to do with what I, there there's no you know when they talk about that advice there's no differentiative don't take your work headspace home not paperwork not your laptop that's not what they they should have been very specific it would have been nice to be like yeah you clear your head you know, a guy's better get off at five o'clock and going and kicking his ass for a half hour in the, in the weight room and going home versus just going home. If he needs to clear his head, you know, so that he doesn't bring work home. And so it's, you know, when you talk about language and communication, one of the number one things I see when I meet with people up at uh, Chateau and in other group areas and one-on-one -on -one is they're like, I didn't know how to talk about it. You know, I mean, tears are flowing and stuff. They're like, this is the first conversation. I've been a cop for 22 years. I've been through, I've been there, I've done that. This is the first time I've had a conversation in 22 years in a language, hearing other people talk about this stuff. I have never heard this before. You know, and it's just this very, it's, it's, it's a sweet moment for them. I mean, it's, it's, it, there's some anguish and stuff attached to it, but it's like, it is a huge breakthrough where it's like they finally found the words and heard the words that they can talk about it now, not dark humor with the guys at work, just the facts on paper. And yeah, dear, I had a wonderful day. And so, and now they're like, no, here's this fourth set of words, vocabulary that's actually being fully and it, and and the the sad thing is is that language would work in every other space. Mm -hmm. Maybe not the police report so much, but as far as talking with our coworkers, our our humanistic interactions, that language would work with all of them instead of trying to learn and communicate in multiple languages.
makes a ton of sense. It really does. I mean, is that something you, I mean, you got to look and how do you change that and do it earlier? What's the intervention? Is it the academy? Is it, is it the pre-interview? Is it, you know, I think think, it's a lot of those things. Yeah. I mean, I think the academy, the academy does a better job now than, than when we went through. Um, But I mean, you got to understand these, these recruits and these cadets are, I mean, they're sipping through a fire hose and they're trying to take all this in. Um, I think one of the keys is through spouses. Um, When I was going through therapy, I, I brought my wife to a couple of the, the later sessions and she learned how to, you know, how to draw things out. And so even now, like one of the misnomers that I had was that once you do therapy, you're, you know, you're done and gone, you know, but it's uh PTS. I mean, it, it's kind of like cancer where, yeah, you can be in remission for a while, but then it may pop back up. And, and I, and I learned that in fact, this year, um, when I'm, uh, you know, I'm, and I didn't even, I didn't even pick up on it but my wife did, you know, and she was able to, you know, she was able to draw some things out that all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, I'm, Oh, I'm going through it again. Okay. I, you know, and way early intervention, you know, where it was just, you know, some quick, uh, you know, some quick, uh, some quick tune ups and, and it's that recognition, but it's, you know, I think part of our biggest problem is that we put it off so long and the way I, the way I've always uh, talked about it is that it's like this, it's like this big basin, you know, with a drain in the middle and early on in our career, I mean, everything that we're accumulating and we're just kind of in this lazy river floating around and not a big deal and just, oh, whatever. And, you know, as we start to, as we start to come to the center and it starts to speed up a little bit, uh, we create, we equate where we're at with being a veteran cop. Okay. Now I'm being, you know, now I'm being pessimistic about everything, you know, I'm, I'm judgmental, I'm paranoid about, you know, things like that. And, you know, that just means that I'm a, I'm a, a salty cop now, you know, because everybody's lying to me and, and all this stuff. But really what it is, is it's all these effects that are, are drawing us in. And it's not until we're spinning really fast and about to get sucked right down the bottom of the drain that all of a sudden we're like, oh no, this, wait, this is a problem. And how many guys get sucked down the drain and spit out the other side before they're like, how did I not see that coming? You know, and if we can intervene, intervene on that, on those outer banks and, and keep it a, a lazy river, you know, I think, uh, I, I think it, it works out, it works out better. And, and guys just need to understand that there are plenty of people out there to, to talk to and, that it's no longer a, it's no longer a thing of, I don't know where to, I don't know where to go or I don't know who to talk to. I mean, I, I know that, uh, every one of Josh's cops, I know that they know they can walk into his office. Um, I know that that same thing at, you know, 10 other agencies. Um, and for those that don't have the support of the agencies, I mean, like I said, everybody's got my number and I, you know, I usually filled, you know, three, four calls a month on, on stuff like that. But it's, it's learning how to, it's learning how to, to talk to our wives just enough to where we can, can offload some of the stress without, without causing that secondary trauma. I mean, some of the most traumatic times during my career and I tried like crazy to hide it from my wife, you know? And it was like, 
crazy trying to trying to hide. I mean, a friend of mine shot and killed in the line of duty, and I tried to, and I was there, and I tried to get home, and I actually faked like I was asleep when she came in, so that I wouldn't have to, so I wouldn't have to address it. That's what we do, and we think we're. We think we're protecting them. We think we're protecting ourselves by pushing it down. But, man, it just, it it rears its head at the most inconvenient times. Yeah, it eats, it eats at people. And that's a conversation, too, I have to have with people that, it's like, this is going to be really hard, by the way. This whole therapy, you know, part of looking at yourself and doing all those things. Um, and it's going to take a lot of work. Mm-hmm. That's... That's just something that a lot of people don't realize. It's a for, it's forever, right? The rest of your life, it's work. It gets easier, it gets harder, it gets easier, and all that stuff. But um, I think that's where we're gonna end at. Um, thank you for coming on. Um, definitely enjoyed having you. You know, share um, your experiences uh, and and what you do for the first responder community. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this segment of No One Fights Alone. No One Fights Alone is sponsored by Chateau Recovery is a 16-bed treatment facility nestled in the foothills of the Wasatch Mountains in Midway, Utah. Chateau's first responder resiliency program is designed to treat the unique challenges and issues that first responders encounter in the course of their careers. Chateau's comprehensive and highly individualized approach to treatment addresses more than just the presenting issues. It addresses the why. Each of their seasoned, trauma-trained, and culturally competent therapists utilize evidence-based, specialized therapies to treat trauma at its core and enable clients to begin the healing process while developing a resilient and healthy relationship with stress. Chateau Recovery is trusted by departments and agencies from around the country to treat responders and veterans. In fact, it is one of only a handful of facilities nationwide that is vetted and approved to treat members of the Fraternal Order of Police. For more information, or to speak to a representative, go to chateaurecovery.com or call 888-507-5031. No One Fights Alone is also sponsored by First Responder Trauma Counselors. First responder trauma counselors are subject matter experts in proactive behavioral health care for frontline workers through their National Peer Support Academy. This 40-hour all-badges, all-uniforms, and all-scrubs educational experience helps to create caring, honest, and empathetic peer support relationships with your fellow frontline workers. The FRTC National Peer Support Academy is taught by actual first responders who have gone back to school to become culturally competent, Licensed behavioral health clinicians that teach from lived experiences, not just theories from books. This fast-paced immersive educational academy will not just change your life, it will help you save the lives of others. For additional details, visit 991overwatch.org or call 970-222-419-3. This could be the most life-changing academy you'll ever attend.